welcome to Restoration Basics, the preparatory podcast where three friends and occasionally a fourth talk about things, the restoration and the preparatory gospel that we find in the scriptures today. I'm joined with two of my friends here. I'm Sam Jordison, and you guys want to introduce yourselves? Uh, well, yeah, I'm Andrew Smith. And I'm Jason Kane. So this podcast, uh, what we're looking to do for the next few episodes, and by few, I don't know, Three hundred so episodes. Let's go through the Book of Mormon um, on each chapter and kind of provide a commentary or our insights to that. I don't know if those will be deeply meaningful to anyone, but maybe it'll give you something to think about and dwell on throughout your day or just driving in the car. Jason, do you have any thoughts on where you want to take this podcast? Yeah, so ideally it would be sort of a interactive scripture study that takes place online where hopefully people in the church and other people that we know would be able to join in on us talking about this and have a discussion with us so we can either answer questions if people have questions or we can be steered straight if we say wrong things. And so, yeah, just some sort of interaction with our church friends or beyond uh, would be awesome. Andrew, what do you think? Yeah, so just, I mean, just like with every, any book, especially scripture, you can read it a hundred times and there's always more stuff you can find, more bits of knowledge and and some insights and new thoughts and questions that come out every time you read it. And so, hopefully, whether you're reading it for the first time or the hundredth time or or more, that you can maybe listen and get our insights as well and then give us some feedback about yours because um, we don't claim to know it all. So, Well, uh, our first episode is going to start off where so many of us have already read before, First uh, Nephi chapter 1. And I don't know about you guys, but this is a verse. At any time when I was younger and I was like, all right, I'm I'm going to study my scriptures. I'm going to get in the habit of doing it. It was almost like the Book of Mormon was the first place to start. One, because it's a little bit easier to read, maybe a little bit easier to process. I think the stories are more visual, maybe. Give more detail in that regard. But you'd always find yourself at Nephi chapter 1, verse 1. And it was like that has been ingrained in you since since I can remember um, it's like you could put your name right there um, with Nephi and, and quote it, you know, I, Sam, having been born of goodly parents, and, and just on from there. And it's such a, I don't know, everybody knows what you're going to talk about when you, when you say, I, Nephi, because everyone recognizes it. Um, so we all, we all did a read through, read through of First Nephi chapter 1, and maybe we'll just talk about what we found throughout, throughout the chapter. All right. So. First Nephi, chapter 1. First of all, it has Nephi being born of goodly parents, uh, has a blessed family, and he writes the record in the language of his father, which consists of the learning of the Jews in the language of the Egyptians. And this takes place in the first year of the reign of Zedekiah, uh, king of Judah. Uh, Lehi- so that would put us about 600 BC, right? Yeah, yeah. I think it's like 587 somewhere. It says 587 BC. We'll get to that later. But first of all, we are we start off with Lehi praying to God on behalf of the people of Jerusalem, and he's shown a pillar of fire, has a, vis- a vision where the angel uh, gives him a book, and in there it uh, reads uh, the warning of the destruction of Jerusalem. The Jews mocked Lehi once he shared this, and they tried to kill him. Lehi was also uh, warned in a dream that that was going to take place, and so he takes his family and departs into the wilderness, and they left all their riches. Laman and Lemuel murmur against Lehi. Uh, they didn't believe that a city as 
big and powerful as Jerusalem could be destroyed. So they ended up trying to kill Lehi as well. Uh, Nephi speaks under the influence of the spirit to his brothers, and Sam believed, but Laman and Lemuel did not. Nephi is told by God that as long as they keep the commandments, they will prosper in the land of promise. He is also told that he would be made ruler and teacher over his brethren. Lehi has a dream that they need to go back to Jerusalem and get the plates that contain the genealogy and scriptures. Laban, the Israelite, was in possession of them. All the sons went, and the older sons thought it was a foolish mission. Nephi is obedient and says, I will go and do the things which the Lord has commanded. For I know that the Lord giveth no commandments unto the children of men, save he shall prepare a way for them that they may accomplish the thing which he commanded them. Uh, they first send Laman to retrieve the records from Laban, but is unsuccessful, and Laban becomes violent and threatening. Uh, Nephi insists on trying again, and so then they go and gather up their old riches from their old place, and they attempt to use them to bargain with Laban. Laban refuses the bargain, but also, quote-unquote, lusts after their rich riches, and, um, and so he sends his servants after the brothers to kill them and steal their possessions, and then the brothers ditch all the possessions and run away. Laman and Lemuel are angry and attack Nephi and Sam, and then an angel appears and stops them and reminds them that the Lord chose Nephi as ruler over them because of their iniquities. Uh, Nephi returns into the city. Laban gets drunk and passes out in front of Nephi. Uh, the spirit says to Nephi, Behold, the Lord hath delivered him into the hands of Nephi and is instructed to kill Laban. And then it says it is better for one man to perish than a nation should dwindle and perish in unbelief. Nephi is obedient after hesitating uh, but then cuts Laban's head off. Uh, Nephi takes Laban's clothes and armor and wears them and goes to retrieve the records. And then Zoram, Laban's servant, is there. And then they uh, Nephi gets the plates and then Zoram follows them uh, back into the wilderness after they talk to him. And then at the end it says, uh, Sariah, Lehi's wife, is afraid that her sons had died. And then Lef Lehi comforts her. But then uh, once the sons and Zoram return, Sarai says, Now I know of a surety that the Lord hath commanded my husband to flee into the wilderness. Yea, and I also know of a surety that the Lord hath protected my sons and delivered them out of the hands of Laban and gave them power whereby they could accomplish the thing which the Lord hath commanded them. And then it goes into the uh, what's in the plates, and we'll get to that later. But that's a summary of the first chapter. So a lot happens in that chapter. Um, for those of you who are listening... Uh, we are using the RLDS version of the Book of Mormon, um, so our chapters are a little bit longer than than maybe the the LDS Book of Mormon, which you can probably find um, a lot more places than the RLDS one. Yeah. I think you can get a free book just if you go to their website; they'll yeah. send you a Book of okay. Mormon. Yeah. <laughs> so if you want a free Book of Mormon, just head on over to the LDS website, and <laughs> ask for one. Um, but yeah, so there's about a hundred and seventy four um, hundred and seventy four verses in the first chapter. Now we touched on. Or you mentioned in the very beginning, you know, Lehi has his vision. But there's something really important here that I think. And and so if, you're open to the, if you are to open the Book of Mormon and just start in chapter 1. And verse 8 says, And it came to pass that he saw one descending out of the midst of heaven, and he beheld that his luster was above that of the sun at noondays. And if you want to skip over to verse 20, um, Lehi is again talking to the, the Jews, and he's testifying of the things he saw in his vision. And, and the things he read in the book that the, the man gave him, and he manifested plainly of the coming of a Messiah and also the redemption of the world. And so I just want to address the fact that within the first chapter of the Book of Mormon and within the 
like, you know, first eight verses, 20 verses, the story of Jesus and Jesus being a prominent figure throughout these pages is evident. And that is so important. And, and people might ask, you know, why do you need the Book of Mormon? We, we, we already know a lot about Jesus, but this, this book is, is so chock full of Christ. And it starts out with him within the first eight verses, within the 12 verses, and it tells you what the rest of the story is going to be about throughout these pages is that it's about the coming of the Messiah and also the redemption of the world. That's not easy to lose sight of in the Book of Mormon, which I really, really appreciate. Yeah, I have that in my notes too, uh, specifically verse 20 saying, you know, manifested plainly of the coming of Messiah. And that is the first mention of Christ in the Book of Mormon. But also, like you said, Christ is a central theme of the Book of Mormon. And I forgot where it says it, but it says that its purpose is to convince the Jew and Gentile that Jesus is the Christ. Title page. Title page. Yeah. <laughs> that's where it, yeah, yeah. That's where it says that. Uh, which we didn't, we haven't done an episode over the title page. So maybe <laughs> that can be a bonus Christmas episode or something. Yeah. So it is clearly a testament to not only just testify of Christ, but to convince people that Jesus is the Christ. It's like, in case the Gospels aren't good enough for you, then we got all this this whole other book too. I picked out a verse, and it was actually the one right after that 21, where it says, Jews heard these things, they were angry with him, yea, even as, as the prophets of old, who they had cast out and stoned. And I find this really ironic because they hadn't been alive when these older prophets, like Isaiah and Jeremiah and, and all of these major prophets had been alive, and yet they idolized these prophets. And he, he's saying they hated Lehi like they hated Jeremiah and, and those prophets like that. And I, I think it speaks to a, a pattern that people will take parts of messages and they'll say, yeah, I really like that bit about the Messiah, but I really don't like that part where you're telling me I'm wicked and I need to repent. Mm -hmm. And and so, it's really easy for us to look back and say, yeah, this prophet was so good. I love all of his stuff. And then we kind of glaze over the part where he's saying, you're wicked, repent or die. Pretty much, Not exactly, obviously, but we kind of skip over the part where we need to look at ourselves and, and improve. And you see just how early too, I mean, Jesus is prevalent, but also pride is prevalent too in these people. How they're they're seeing Lehi's message and hearing it and saying, no, I don't want what you're saying, even though he was saying the exact same message that those prophets of old had said as well. Yeah, it also shows that disciples of Christ are going to be persecuted. It says in Matthew uh, 5, 13 and 14, And blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. For ye shall have great joy and be exceeding glad. For great shall be your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Yeah, exactly. So that mentions the prophets before them as well. Uh, and just to rewind a little bit, I had also written down, um, I, was looking in the, I was looking in the commentary of the Book of Mormon, and it listed some of the prophets that were around at that time during the first year of the reign of Zedekiah, which the first year was 597 B.C., and he reigned for 11 years, and it says that in Second uh, Kings 24, 17 and 18. Uh, I won't actually go to it, though. The prophet, prophets who prophesied of Jerusalem's destruction were at least uh, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Zephaniah, and others were probably doing the same because in the scripture it says 
many profits. There's a part if we keep rewinding, and I don't mean to, we. I mean we only made it twenty verses in, and now we're going back. Yeah, that's fine. But um, when when the angel comes to Christ, I guess when he comes and stands before, I read that as and the first came and stood before Lehi. That that's talking about Christ stands before him and he gives him a, a book and he asks that he should read it. And so as Lehi reads reads the book, um, this is what. What the book says, Woe, woe unto Jerusalem, for I have seen thine abominations. And many things did my father read concerning Jerusalem, that it should be destroyed, and the inhabitants thereof, many should perish by the sword, and many should be carried away captive into Babylon. And if if you were to read the about the destruction of the United States, if I were to read that, I think I would be a little bit scared or worried. But this is what Lehi says when he reads it and sees that he did exclaim many things unto the Lord, such as great and marvelous are thy works, O Lord God Almighty. Thy throne is high in the heavens, and thy power and goodness and mercy are over all the inhabitants of the earth. And so I think that's a from a human perspective, that's a really weird reaction to say um, to read about the destruction of your own people, the, the people you grew up with in Jerusalem, and then your reaction be to be, wow, your mercy is so great, oh God. But I really think that comes from Lehi having a relationship with Christ and and knowing that he would not, God would not set this forth if it was not for, in the best intentions of the people of Jerusalem. Lehi understands that Thou art merciful, and thou will not suffer those who come unto thee, that thou shalt perish. And I don't know if the book addressed that. It's very possible it does. But from what we know in these scriptures, Lehi is thanking the Lord and praising the Lord over something that I wouldn't understand. I don't think if I read a book that said, you know, all these people are going to die. But he understands that due to his close nature with God. And so, uh, go back to the Jews trying to take away Lehi's life, and he is told by the Lord that they're trying to kill him. And so he needs to, to leave Jerusalem. So he packs up his things, he packs up his provisions and his family, and he heads out into the wilderness. And Lehi does does what the Lord's commanded, and he leaves his house, he leaves his land of inheritance and all his gold and money and goes down to the borders of the Red Sea. Here it, it kind of addresses Lehi's family and Nephi's, Nephi's family as well. Sariah, their mother, and then four sons are Laman, Lemuel, Sam, and Nephi. And you get your first glimpse at who Laman and Lemuel are when they're walking in the wilderness or traveling in the wilderness. And Lehi calls them out. He says, Laman, um, I, I wish that you were like this river, continually running into the fountain of all righteousness. And then he calls out Lemuel and that you might be like under this valley, firm and steadfast and immovable. Keep the commandments of the Lord. And then it tells you that he's, he's telling Nephi's brothers this because they were angry and they did murmur and they were probably pretty backbiting against their father and many things. Um, due to making them leave the land of Jerusalem. And they called them foolish and, and all these things because they knew not the dealings of God that had created them. They didn't know what was going on. Does anyone have any thoughts on, on that part? I think there's a difference. They knew not the things of God. I, I see a pattern in the New Testament, especially where Jesus said, see and understand. And, and Laman and Lemuel had seen a lot of things in their life. They hadn't understood them. Not because they might not have even wanted to. It's really because they chose, I'm not going to look at this any further. Just like Jesus, how he used the parables. People heard the parables, but if you didn't make that choice to understand them or search them out or think about them, then you wouldn't understand them. And I feel like they weren't seeking out a relationship with God. And that's why they knew not 
the things of God. Really, if you boiled this whole chapter down into one theme, it would be choices and obedience because that comes through all of it. And like you're saying, Laman and Lemuel would choose not to heed to the words of Christ. And I have something on that a little later. It continually shows Lehi heeding to the voice of the Lord, going into the wilderness because he was commanded to do so. And Nephi following uh, his father's example and doing the things that the Lord had commanded. And so, yeah, that's the biggest takeaway I think I get from this chapter. And I'll hit on it multiple times. <laughs> I think interestingly enough, so many of us um, always identify with Laman and Lemuel, and it's not with Nephi and Sam and or Lehi. It's almost interesting how we find ourselves identified in, in those two guys who were a little bit more wicked, rough around the edges at this point, you know. And I think that the, the Lord, well, obviously the Lord knew that, and he put that in there so that we could recognize the human nature that we are always fighting against is that, oh, you know what, I see this in my life, and I also see this in Laman and Lemuel's life, and, and I know now that that's a problem because of, what well, one, what happened to Laman and Lemuel eventually in the in the story, and and also how um, they are described. Side note, we're coming up on verse 46, which is the shortest verse in the Book of Mormon. Um, oh, that's the best. As far as I'm aware. Um, and my father dwelt in a tent. So. Yeah. <laughs> packed, <laughs> packed with knowledge. Yeah, right there. If you ever does, need a scripture before bed. Does that mean one. we should dwell in a tent? <laughs> <laughs> the 11th commandment. <laughs> Something interesting I found in verse 48. Uh, this is Nephi talking and he says, I did cry unto the Lord and he did visit me and he did soften my heart that I did believe all the words which had been spoken by my father. And to me, that's that's interesting because you always think of Nephi as this perfect individual. Um but here, the Lord still needs to soften his heart so that he believes all the words which have been spoken. And so, I don't know what Nephi was thinking throughout this first part of the journey when they leave Jerusalem. I wonder if he was just like, well, you got me this far, so I'll, I'll follow my father still. And then he still needed that little bit of conversion there. But it's an interesting concept, I think, that Nephi, this faithful individual, still needed his heart softened. Um, that he wouldn't rebel against his father. I, I had some just one thing to say about Laman and Lemuel murmuring because I felt like it was important. Like you said, it shows the humanness of, I, I guess, just our humanity in, 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 in scripture and how, how susceptible people can be to, to sin. I think in terms of relating to them, it, it teaches me a lesson that it's a slippery slope. Once you, you start murmuring and you turn your heart away from God and, as soon as your heart turns, it doesn't matter what you see. I mean, we'll talk about a lot of things Laman and Lemuel see from then on, but it starts with them just murmuring, complaining, stuff that I do seemingly fairly often. And it's a it's a dangerous thing to do, to, to tease your heart into saying, you can turn around for a second, because as soon as you get your next testimony, then you'll then you'll be closer to God. Maybe that's what Laman and Lemuel were saying. I mean, but did they ever really turn? No. Yeah. And I think a big thing with Laman and Lemuel is they were very fearful and fearful of being uncomfortable. And they they liked their riches. They liked Jerusalem. The whole city was big and powerful. And But when they were asked to step out in faith, their, their faith just wasn't there. And they couldn't see that the Lord would provide for them regardless of their situation. And it's a common theme even up until our time that we don't, a lot of people don't don't really realize that the gospel is, is something that's alive and living for us second by second. I mean, it's something we can be applying today. 
tomorrow and the, the rest of our days. And so Laman and Lemuel knew known the law. They had known and been preached this whole thing for their probably their entire lives. Their dad was a prophet, obviously, and so I'm sure he taught them well. And yet they I mean, look how they turned out. I mean, they they didn't realize it was real. And so they had known the facts and then they didn't want to apply it. I always like to say faith is action. And Uh it's not just knowing what is right and wrong. It's actually applying because you believe in God and and not just so you can go to heaven or whatever. It's, It's because you love Christ that you follow him. Well, love Christ and love others, which is the same thing. Exactly. That's that's something that they kind of didn't realize as well. They were like, yeah, we can love God, but we're going to do it by not loving our father and respecting him. And Yeah, and, we can kill him. That's and, cool. Yeah, <laughs> and that, that's our way of loving God, getting back to Jerusalem so we can have all of our money. So, Laman and Lemuel being like this, actually, Nephi is really grieved over them. But in 53... The Lord comes to him and he says, Nephi, because of thou faith, this is this is why, because he sought me diligently. And he actually gives them a promise right here um, in verse 57, I believe. And this promise is so important because it extends all the way throughout the Book of Mormon. You're going to find this over and over and really in Alma, I think, when a lot of the wars are going on. But in verse 57, it says, For in that day they shall rebel against me. I will curse them even with the sore curse. And he's talking about um, the Lamanites here, Nephi's brethren. But they shall have no power over thy seed, except they shall rebel against me also. And so, you're going to be reading the book of Alma, and you're going to read about, you know, the Lamanites were so numerous, they outnumbered the Nephites 10 to 1. But because the Nephites were faithful to the Lord, they were preserved, they were protected, and they would win their battle. And that just happens over and over. So, that's that's the start of that promise right there in First Nephi, chapter 1, is the Lord protecting Nephi and his, his seed, those who come after him. And that... Verse 54, going back even <laughs> further, uh, is, yeah, is. is a verse that specifically is repeated uh, 10 times, I think, and just all around the Book of Mormon and then not word by word many, many more times. It's just the promise of keeping the commandments and you'll prosper. And, and it's something um, that I've kind of realized semi-recently is that some people outside of the church and some people outside of even Christianity have have uh, been very successful and their their philosophies to success have included many christian principles that are following god's word without knowing they're following god's word and there are some laws that are are deeper than just things we understand the their laws of the universe that if you do these things you will succeed and and they are stumbling across god's promises without even knowing it and also in verse uh, 58 it says, and if it so be that they rebel against me, uh, they shall be a scourge unto thy seed to stir them up in the ways of remembrance. And so, this also shows that God can use either our own human nature to rebel or just adversity in general to bring us to remembrance of him. Because if we at least know him a little bit, we will eventually at our lowest point at least remember when we're looking for some way to get out of our adversity. There's a uh, quote um, in a sermon this summer that I heard, and I probably won't get it right, but it it said to not doubt what you knew in the light when you're in the dark, or when you're in the dark, don't don't doubt what you knew in the light. And I think that applies directly here too, is he's saying the same thing. And if if you're in the dark, I'm going to use it to 
remind you the stark difference between your present state and when you were in the light. Exactly. There's a big difference and you'll realize it. Yeah. Yeah, so the scriptures are just chock full of so much information. And so now I'm going to 55, not even realizing it. Uh, I had it down on my notes and um, I I skipped past it, I guess. But just another aspect of, of him talking to Nephi and it says, Inasmuch as they shall rebel against thee, they shall be cut off from the presence of the Lord. And, and when I first read that, I thought that was kind of harsh, you know. But so often, how often do we put um, someone or a wall between us and them and, you know, we rebel against thee or our brother. And that cuts us off from the Lord um, in a way that we probably might not realize at the time. But we're saying, you know, hey, I don't want to be involved with this person or really deal with this person. And and that's not a that's not OK, because what we're doing to them, we're actually doing to God. And I'm reminded of a testimony of a of a man who had a had an issue with um, someone at church. And it it got to the point where he uh, he just stopped going when the guy was teaching a class or preaching, and he didn't make a big stink about it. He didn't he didn't do anything that was he didn't tell anybody his problem. He you know he's like, well, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say anything bad about the individual. I just don't I'm not getting anything from this individual, and I have a problem with it, and I'll keep it to myself. And the Lord told him, you know, he said, why aren't you why aren't you going? And uh, he said, well, I'm not making an issue about it. I'm just this is what it, what I want to do. I don't want to do that. And the Lord reminded him that that was not love, that that did not measure up. And this person placing a wall between him and another individual who was causing him discomfort or whatever, actually put an indivi- uh, a wall between um, this person and God. And so that's an issue that you can't really skip over. And it's a short verse, but so important. Well, and on verse 55 as well, like you said, it sounds a little harsh to be you know, cut off from the presence of God, but it, is, it isn't necessarily God cutting you off. It's you removing yourself from his presence because yep. it, it's clearly your choice to rebel. And that like the condition is there of following the commandments, being obedient to God. Then you are in his presence. You you're in the land of promise. And going on that same vein, uh, I'm reminded of a scripture from Ephesians, the second chapter, where it's talking about Christ and uh, what he really means to all of us, starting in 14, for he is our peace, uh, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments, contained in ordinances for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. It's just that that tying back to that testimony that we shouldn't build up walls because Christ has clearly broken them down for a purpose. We're going against them. And that's, that's the same kind of thing. When, when we build up that wall, then we're just going against Christ. Then. And as we move on with this with the story of Nephi, he's told this by the Lord and Lehi comes to him and his brothers and he says, uh, the Lord told me that you need to go back and get the plates that Laban has. And he commanded me that you and your brothers should go and seek the records. It gives birth to one of the most popular verses in the Book of Mormon. Um, Nephi said unto my father, I will go and do the things which the Lord hath commanded. For I know that the Lord giveth no commandments unto the children of men. Save ye shall prepare a way for them, that they may accomplish the thing which he commandeth them. Anyone have any words about that scripture? I think it just speaks to true love casts out all fear. 
is that when we have God on our side, we, we have this confidence that the world just doesn't understand. You're saying we relate to Laman and Lemuel, and, and they really do have so many human reactions to situations and not really unrealistic unre- like reactions to these situations. And yet, Nephi was the one that had the good reaction, and his was the one that we kind of find surprising to our human nature. It's because he had that strength of God with him, and it really showed in, in his actions, as we talked about earlier. Yeah, um, and this also comes up with Joseph Smith later when he's translating the plates, and uh, he's praying to God about Martin Harris, and God basically gives him some advice, and but then also he uh, says in DNC five. 6d says and for this cause that thy days may be prolonged i have given unto thee these commandments yea for this cause i have said stop and stand still until i command thee and i will provide means whereby thou mayest accomplish the thing which i have commanded thee so he it's not just nephi gets this promise it's it's everyone as long as they're serving the lord and he, he will always provide a way. Ironically, the, the next verse E, the next paragraph, if thou art faithful in keeping the commandments, thou shalt be lifted up at the last day. I mean, it's just a yeah. continuation of that same promise. We just find it not even just in the Book of Mormon, but in Latter-day Revelation as well. Yeah. And so, Nephi and his brethren travel back to Jerusalem. And I'm sure a lot of you can tell the story in your own words just as well. Know the story like the back of your hand. They draw lots, and Laman gets the short, short lot. He goes out and is kicked out. <laughs> Laban does not like him. And Andrew, you mentioned, you know, the human side of things. It'd be almost like if one of us were to go to the governor of Missouri and say, "Hey, um, I want the Constitution of Missouri, please." And you know, <laughs> what's that's not something he's just going to give up. Um, you know, plates were actually. They they talked about in the Book of Mormon. They were extremely hard to make. They you had they were a lot of work. Um, they talk about how hard it was to write them. Um, Jacob does. He says, you know, it's it's hard to um, engrave these things, but we're going to engrave them because they're important. And so you have someone who's going back to Laban and saying, "Can I have this record, which is extremely valuable? It's got um, the history of our people and their laws and everything, and you know, rightly so." Um, from a human standpoint, Laban's going to say, no way. <laughs> you know, I don't even know you. <laughs> and since you talked about the plates a little bit, um, I might as well bring it up now, even though it says it later in the scriptures. But the plates of brass con- contains the five books of Moses, uh, records of the Jews until the reign of Zedekiah, the prophecies of the holy prophets from the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, prophecies of Jeremiah, and a genealogy of uh, Joseph. There and also... Laban was a descendant of Joseph along with Lehi, and that's why Laban had the plates as well. So you can see that they're they're pretty important from not only a family standpoint, but from a knowledge standpoint. Laban's like, no, this is this is our history, this is the prophets, prophecies, genealogy, record. It's all important. And so Laban gets kicked out, runs for his life. Um, the brothers get back together and they go back to their home and they get all their gold and silver together and they bring it to Laban and in a trade. Laban sees these things and this is this is probably where you can see that he's really a wicked man is that he wants those things, uh, the gold and the silver, 
and he doesn't actually want to pay for them with the plates. And so he sends his guards out to kill the brothers and they, they flee. And so then they're left without any gold and silver and not that it was any use to them in the wilderness, but in Laman and Lemuel's eyes, you know, whenever their dad decides to come back, that was their inheritance. That's what they were going to get. So they're, they're upset and they start beating Nephi and Sam with a rod. Um, and, and who stops them? An angel. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the angel is like, hey, uh, you shouldn't be beating him up because I made Nephi the ruler of you guys. And um, just some salt in their wounds. Yeah. It, it says in verse. Prideful guys. And yeah. Like, verse 94 says, Know you not that the Lord hath chosen him to be a ruler over you, and this because of your iniquities. So that to me says that they could have been the rulers of the family if they just would have chosen to be obedient to God. It, it's not just because Nephi is a cool guy and has a good personality or anything. It's just Nephi was the one who was obedient and he was the youngest and almost, you know, to teach him a lesson with pride. And, and that ties back to even the first verse. Where he says, he's highly favored of the Lord. Having seen many afflictions in the course of my days, nevertheless, having been highly favored. It's not that Nephi had it easy. I mean, he had seen the same afflictions his brother had seen. It was that he was willing to serve God through those afflictions, just like you were saying. I mean, a a quality of God that I really value is is justice and and equality, I guess. The rain rains on tall people, short people, black people, white people, everybody. I mean, and that's just how it is. And and you can choose to respond in the right way or you can choose to respond in the wrong way. And and Layman and Lemuel obviously didn't choose that right response. And I think it's kind of funny that after the angel tells them and he leaves, um, the first thought on Laban and Lemuel's mind is, how is it possible that the Lord will deliver Laban into our hands? Like they didn't just, you know, an angel didn't come by and uh, and tell them. Yeah. Um, and their thought is, well, how? And they kind of address how powerful Laban is, that he can command 50 and slay 50. And um, Nephi is the one who speaks up. And after he's been beaten with a rod, you know, he just says, let's go back to Jerusalem and I'll be faithful. And he's mightier than all this earth. The Lord is. Yeah, and I'll just make this short reference just real fast. That might be our first one to the Restoration Gospel podcast, but Restored, but, gospel. restored gospel podcast, excuse me. <laughs> um, but they've talked about in several episodes and, and it's been a a big passion. And I think all three of our lives as well is that once you turn your heart from God then doesn't matter what you know, just the same thing. I mean, like how dangerous is it to turn your heart that you see an angel and it doesn't matter to you? I mean, like it doesn't change you. Mm-hmm. I, it's inconceivable to yeah. me at the point. But I mean, how many testimonies do I have that haven't changed my life? How many things do I have in my life that I'm not acting on daily and, and mm-hmm. I can put myself in those shoes again? So, in Nephi's convincing his brothers to go back up um, to Jerusalem and for the Lord, he actually does some uses a tactic here. Um, I would say, and I don't mean a tactic in a in a bad way. He's not trying to deceive them or anything. But what he is calling them to do is remember the testimony of those who have gone before. When he mentions Moses, he says, "Let us be strong like unto Moses." And he and he talks about what Moses did with the Lord. And he spake unto the waters of the Red Sea, and they divided hither. And our fathers came through out of ca- captivity um, on dry ground. And that's so important even today. I mean, what are we what are we doing now when we look at the scriptures and we look for the testimony of those who have gone before in um, the Nephites and Lamanites and then the apostles and and the words of Jesus? 
we're looking for that testimony to, you know, inspire us and to, to bring us closer to God. And that's what Nephi is doing here. He's addressing the doubt in his brother's mind with basically scripture, with the testimony of Moses. And he's, he tells him, he says, ye know that this is true. And ye also know that an angel hath spoken unto you. Wherefore can ye doubt? So he's, he's connecting the, the experience that the brothers just had with this, this messenger with a, a powerful experience from their past that while they weren't alive for, they know the story of Moses walking on dry ground through the Red Sea. Um, so that, that can be almost like a missionary, missionary tool. And I know some people have talked about in their missionary efforts when they ask about spiritual experiences, you know, to those who might not know the gospel and those people are able to say, you know what, this, this did happen to me a long time ago. You can connect that with scripture and then they're brought to a remembrance like what we were talking about before. And this time when they go to go to Laban, um, it's Nephi and he waits till night and he goes in to the city and he says he crept into the city and went forth towards the house of Laban. He's led by the spirit, not knowing beforehand the things which I should do. So Nephi being led by the spirit, um, he goes forth through the city and comes close to the house of Laban and he sees Laban drunk, fall over to the earth, uh, passed out and he beheld a sword, and he drew it from the sheath thereof, and he describes the sword that it was exceeding fine. And then it says that he was constrained by the spirit that I should kill Laban. And I said in my heart, never at any time have I shed the blood of man, and I shrank, and would that I might not slay him. The spirit says unto him, you know, the Lord hath delivered him into thy hands, yea, and I also know that he hath sought to take away mine own life, yea, that he would not hearken unto the commandments of the Lord, he taken away our property. The spirit said unto him again, slay him, for the Lord hath delivered him into thy hands. The Lord slayeth the wicked to bring forth his righteous purposes. And then here's the, here's the quote that, that people really um, tie in with this, this part of the story is that it is better for that one man should perish than that a nation should dwindle and perish in unbelief. Now that can be a hurdle for some, some people reading this. I think on the surface, people are going to say, whoa, that's not okay. In the part you read, it's something that I had never really gotten before, where in verse 110, it says, I was constrained by the spirit that I should kill Laban. And I have to think of the word constrained. I have to think I'm going to do something bad and the spirit constrains me not to do that bad thing. Like it's kind of a reigning in kind of thing. And it's kind of used in that instance, but he doesn't want to kill Laban and it's the spirit constrains him. It's like, hold on, rein that, rein that humanness in. Even we we see here, and I think this is really important, that our moral compass is not God's moral compass. It's not his righteousness, as, as we've talked about before. And as Nephi sees Laban, he's like, my righteousness says, I know the law. I, I shouldn't kill him. But God's righteousness is that of one. Well, it's better than one man perish than a whole nation dwindle in unbelief. It's just, I don't know, it, it goes to tell that we should always be seeking for that relationship with Jesus and that spirit so that we can be constrained to do things that we may not mm, see even as right in, in society or, or, I mean, obviously not condoning murder, uh, but in this instance, he was listening to the spirit and it, it brought about this book that's done so much more good than, than anything else. The commentary on the Book of Mormon, on that verse, it says it's also referring to the new nation that Lehi was establishing and that without the plates, 
that whole nation that he had set apart to be in the land of promise that if they don't have the plates, they don't have the law. Like they don't have any sort of record of what has been prophesied, what has been commanded of God. And so they would dwindle in unbelief. And it was already a very special nation to be formed that God had his hand in the whole way. And he like sent him into the wilderness. Uh, it's just another step of establishing this nation in the promised land. I like how how him taking the plates doesn't mean that all of them would have belief in God because they still had their agency. And you can mm-hmm. see, obviously, that there are going to develop into several groups and maybe just one or two of those groups follow Christ during that time that they're they're on the on the land and how wasn't even like, well, if you get these if you get these plates, 100% of the people that are going to come after you are going to believe. No, it's it's just for the possibility. Killing Laban was worth the possibility of these people believing in Christ. That's how much it's worth. And I think that's a good idea, or at least I think it's a, a cool idea for me to think about it at least. I think if you also want to come at the Book of Mormon and, and say, well, that's um, that can't be true, this, this part illustrates that you also have to address um, – Further in the pages um, is the story of the anti-Nephi-Lehi's who completely covenant and and throw down their weapons and bury them to the point that when their enemies fall upon them and just start slaying them, that they don't even pick up a sword. And I think you also have to address that part too, and that the judgments of God are always perfect. And that goes a lot further than than what our eyes or understanding can see. And, and you have to you know, you have to try the spirits. You have to make sure that, you know, that you are following the spirit of God, but he knows what, he knows what's best. And he's always going to do that, which brings his people back to him because that's his mission, you know, in, in section 22. And it's a, a scripture so often quoted that his work and his glory is to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. And that is done here in that effort. Uh, Jason, I, uh, I actually, for the longest time, I did not think about the new nation, when he says this is better than, than, a, yeah. than a nation should dwindle and perish in unbelief. And I don't remember when I came across that. I don't, I may have been talking to, um, I don't know, an LDS friend or, or something. But yeah, once that was shed, that understanding was shed to me from that scripture, it made so much more sense. Is that without those plates, um, the Nephites, the Lamites, all those in the new world dwindle in unbelief and boom, they perish, basically. And so, uh, Nephi going on, he, he hears those words, um, that is better for one man to perish than a nation should dwindle and, and perish in unbelief. Um, he couples that with the words the Lord has already spoken to him in the past. And he remembers that those words that he's just here heard go along perfectly with that testimony he had earlier in his life. That inasmuch as thy seed shall keep my commandments, they shall prosper in the land of promise. So I don't know why maybe we missed that when it says, you know, when we think he's talking about Israel, when really he's talking about the new nation. Because right after that next verse, he's talking about the people in the land of promise, the new nation. And I also thought that they could not keep the commandments of the Lord according to the law of Moses, save they should have the law. You know, they need that record. Otherwise, they're going to be lost. And so Nephi knows now that the spirit is the spirit of God and he, he kills Laban and he takes off his armor and he puts his armor on. He goes to the treasury and he sees the servant of Laban who we know as Zoram and he has the keys. And so he commands him that he should go into the treasury. And he's supposed to me 
to be his master. And so Zoram talks to him and he talks to him as if he's Laban because he doesn't know. And so this is an interesting, interesting thing. I, I think that Nephi had the awareness to bring Zoram out from Jerusalem when they get the plates and further in the story, he uh, makes some covenant with them that he won't um, betray them or anything. And they gain another member in their posse, another member in their, the crew. Um, they get the, the plates and um, then they come outside the walls and his brothers run away thinking that Laban's after them. And that's when he reveals himself to be Nephi, shows up or tells Zoram, you know, hey, I'm not who you, you thought I was, but here are your options. And Zoram makes an oath that he would tarry with us from that time forth. And and they do it so that the Jews don't know that Nephi and his family have have escaped, left Jerusalem. So they take the plates of brass and they come back to their father in the wilderness. And what is their mother thinking when they get back? They did. Yep. <laughs> his mom is mad at Lehi. She's mad because um, she thinks her sons are dead. She thinks that uh, her husband led them out of Jerusalem, much like Laman and Lemuel, um, out of Jerusalem. And they lost their inheritance. They lost all their, their good. And now she lost her sons. Um, but Nephi and his brothers show up with the plates and with Zoram tagging along. And that actually converts Sariah. She says she knows now that this was from the Lord, that this whole uh, message journey and, and the prophecies of her husband are true from the Lord. Well, in Sariah, it's kind of interesting to think because it's not mentioned any other place that she complains. So it's almost she was more willing to just go into the wilderness and follow Lehi. And I'm sure she trusted him a lot and trusted that he knew what God had command had commanded him um, was true. But then once it comes down to potentially losing her family and like they had to try to go and get the plates three times. So and travel time like on foot, Mm -hmm. like it's got to be a long time that they were gone. So it gets to a point where you're like, well, if they're gone this long, they're dead. Like, there's no way. And then with all of that happening, then that's when all the doubt comes in. That's when what she thinks her understanding of the situation is, is what shook her faith in God's plan. But had she not acted and let them go in the first place, she never would have known. Exactly. It shows the relationship between faith and, and knowledge is, I mean, you have to exercise that. Yet you, you have to let your kids go obey God to, to really know that God's in control. He's actually behind the commandments that he's given you. Yeah. And I wonder if later on in the, in any mentions of her, if she ever doubts again, like, I don't know for sure, but maybe she never doubts again after she for sure knows that her sons were spared and that Lehi was leading them down God's path. So after Sariah's praise and and thanksgiving of seeing her sons again and that they're not dead uh lehi takes um or they give a a burnt offering they offer up a sacrifice to the lord and then lehi takes takes the record and he searches them from the beginning and i have to imagine that that this is probably the first time that lehi actually got to read the plates i know that on the restore gospel podcast they talked about how scripture in the the past was probably someone preaching and then you dwelling on what they said for the rest of the day or pondering that in your heart because you didn't have 25 copies of the plates it was just too hard to make them and so i imagine that lehi is sitting here and he's examining these 
maybe, maybe he had read them before. Maybe he had seen them, but it'd probably been a while if they were in the possession of Laban. And so, Jason, you touched on that they contained the five books of Moses, creation of the world of Adam and Eve. They contained a record of the Jews and the prophecies of the holy prophets, even down to the commencement of the reign of Zedekiah. Um, prophecies of Jeremiah and then the genealogy that he and Laban were both descendants of Joseph. Uh, we know that Lehi was a descendant or part of the tribe of Manasseh. You know, we don't know what tribe Sariah was from, but the Nephites and Lamanites are all of the tribe of Manasseh. Again, it talks about um, that when the, his father reads these, um, he was filled with the spirit, began to prophesy again, that these plates of brass should go forth unto all nations, kindreds, and tongues, and peoples who were of his seed. Wherefore, he said that these plates of brass should never perish, neither should they be dim- dimmed any more by time. And he prophesied many things concerning his seed. And this is bringing us pretty close to the end of the chapter. Um, two more verses. Nephi talks about he and his family, since they had obtained the records, which the Lord had commanded us. They searched them and they found that they were desirable, of great worth, insomuch that we could preserve the commandments of the Lord unto our children. Wherefore, it was wisdom in the Lord that we should carry them with us as we journeyed in the wilderness towards the land of promise. Boom. Boom. Mic drop. There it is. Nephi's got the commandments and there's no stopping him now. I think this is a really important foundation for the rest of the rest of Nephi's portion of the Book of Mormon and then just the rest of the Book of Mormon. It it just lays the foundation of God's faithfulness in our daily life. And if we follow what he's telling us to do, then, I mean, he'll make a way for it. We have a, a sense of courage that we should have because of his all-knowing and all-powerful a- attributes. And those who are, are against us will be against him if, if we're with him. It just lays that foundation that's I mean, like we said, there are themes in the Book of Mormon, and the themes are the same in this chapter. Jesus is prevalent, um, the Spirit's prevalent, and uh, if you keep the commandments, you'll prosper in land because you're following God's laws. Within the first, I mean, you touched on it within the first chapter, um, it's setting the stage, you know, Christ um, from the very beginning, the Spirit working with those individuals who are following his commandments. And this is going to play throughout the whole Book of Mormon. So I'm excited to to get going and where we take this probably chapter by chapter through the book. I want to thank you for listening uh, to our Restoration Basics, the preparatory podcast. I hope that you have some new thoughts and and gain something from from just this conversation. Maybe uh, it wasn't anything we said, but maybe just dwelling on the thoughts and the scriptures that the Lord has given us. Um, We'll see you next time.